It's 11.36. Should I preach this morning? You going to stay with me if I preach? Help us, Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Joe and Bill were talking one day, and Joe said, my college really turned out some great men. Bill responded, oh, when did you graduate? Joe said, oh, I didn't graduate. I was turned out. <laughs> well, graduates, you have turned out all right. In fact, you've turned out great. You've learned a lot from your teachers and from the parents God gave you, and your parents learned a lot, too. Not the least of which is how to make a Budweiser. Send him to school. I've been taking lessons from Bob, I'm sorry. There's another one, but I think uh, that one went over so well, I'll, I'll skip it. Graduates, I'm going to talk to you for a minute, and then I'm going to direct my comments to all of us. <clears throat> but I want you to know that even at your young age, you have become role models for younger ones who are here who look up to you, and you have already become, whether you know it or not, or whether you recognize it or not, you have become a teacher yourself. You may not be aware of it, but you have reached the place where you can become a mentor. I know you tend to think, well, I'm one to be mentored, and yes, you will be and you should be by those who are older and wiser and those who have gone on the, uh, on the path, on further down the path than you. But even at your young age of 18 to 22 or, or whatever you are, when you look over your shoulder, you're going to see a generation coming up behind you. And I want you to know that you have a responsibility and obligation to that generation coming up behind you. Even as those of us who are adults now are seeing that generation, we're seeing you coming up behind us, and we feel that sense of obligation and responsibility to, to be mentors. You may ask yourself the same thing we've all asked ourselves, what do I have to give? What do I have to offer? And I think we've all felt that, but the truth is, you'd be surprised if you could ever get a top, stop and get a snapshot of all you've learned in your few short years how much you have gleaned from life, and how much good that you have to pass on to those who are coming up behind you. You need to recognize the power of your, of your influence and step up to the place of leadership and always be ready to be a mentor even as you continue to be a learner. You know, church, we should always be learners. We are perpetual learners. Your ability to grow as a learner will intensify as you are able to determine that for which you have a passion. You ever notice if you have a passion for something, you really want to learn about it? I remember uh, at the end of my eighth grade year of school, my folks who had always pastored in the Midwest, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, mostly Illinois, Missouri at that time, we, my folks accepted the pastor of a church just outside of Phoenix in Mesa, Arizona. It was 1969. The world was much different in 1969. Going from St. Louis area to Phoenix felt like you were going to the other side of the world. The world was just much more spread out then. We didn't have the communication that we have today. Well, that was the year. And we moved out there at the end of my eighth grade year. So at the beginning of the summer, 
And so I didn't have the ability to, I was going to have to wait till I got through summer to make friends in school. I made friends in the church and friends in my neighborhood. But I decided to take that time and really focus on uh, my skills on the piano. I knew the Lord had given me a bit of a music gift, and for whatever reason, that to this day is the compacted period of time that I remember really focusing and concentrating, and I, I chose to give intense study to the piano. I, I practiced hours and hours and hours a day. Didn't really have anything else to do. I was new in the area, and that's, that became my focus. We had this old spinet piano in our little living room out of tune, and I spent hours on it every day because I had a passion to learn the piano. Now, in that same area, I discovered there was a pastor's daughter who was about 25 at the time. Her dad pastored a church on further out in Chandler, Arizona, and she was an incredibly gifted pianist. I mean, really, really remarkable. This will have significance for about a half a dozen of you, but all of her years at Central Bible College, she was the pianist for Revival Time Choir. And anybody who knows anything about that knows that they only selected the best of the best of the best in the country within our fellowship to be the pianist for, or the organist for, for Revival Time Choir. Her name was Sharon Bell. She was incredibly talented. And I heard her play, I thought, oh my goodness, how, how, I want to be able to do that. I, I just, I've got to be able to play the piano like she plays, those chords that she plays and her technique and and how with what ease and what natural ability, the way she touched the piano. I wanted to be able to do that. And my passion for that was incredibly intense. And so I went to her and I said, you know, we're new here in this area. My folks are pastoring the church in Mesa and, and uh, we don't have a lot of money, but my folks said they would pay for piano lessons for me for this summer. Would you give me piano lessons? And she looked at me and she said, I don't teach. Okay. About like that, maybe with a little more sauce on it, but about like that. I don't teach. And I said, you know, I did not let that stop me. It's kind of true to my nature. I did not let that stop me. I said, okay, all right. Because I wanted so bad to be able to play like she played. She had something in her skill set that I wanted so bad nothing would stop me. And so I said, okay, look, um, how about we make a deal here? You don't have to teach. I'll do all the learning. You don't have to do nothing except show up at the church where my dad pastors on Saturday morning, how about 10 o'clock, and I'll give you whatever little bit of money they've allotted for me to take piano lessons. You don't have to come up with curriculum. You don't have to find a book. You don't have to you know, prepare anything. I just want you to come and play, just play the piano. Pick something out of the hymnal. I don't care. So, just play, and I will watch you, and when I have a question, I'll stop you which was about every second measure, I stopped her. When I have a question, and when I want to know how you did that, I will take full responsibility for the learning. You don't have to do anything. And I remember that so strongly because that has become a pattern for much of my life. And that is this, I always want to be a learner. I always want to have such a passion for learning something new, and that ought to be true of all of us. Who of us has arrived? Who of us has reached that point that we no longer need new information? We, don't, we no longer need a passion to move on into something else and something more. Well, I challenge all of us this morning to be learners, perpetual learners. Many adults lose their cutting edge by not remaining learners, growing complacent and ceasing to go forward. And I would say this, when you stop learning, folks, you're done. I deal with plenty of people who, who, who have stopped learning, they don't want to learn, and they don't want to be challenged. 
And the minute you do challenge them, the minute you do say there's a better way here, there's a, there's a, there's a better path for you to be on, they cut you off because they've stopped learning. They've stopped being learners. And somehow in doing that, this might sting a bit, in doing that, they have positioned themselves to be above being a learner. When you position yourself to be above being a learner, you're done. You're finished. You've stopped growing. I say to every young musician that I meet, I don't care what a superstar you are, you may be the best thing in your church, the best thing in your school, the best thing in your town. Put yourself around people who are a lot better than you are at whatever it is that you do. You may think you're all that in a bag of chips until you get some around somebody who's got the bag of chips and the bag of Fritos. You need to put yourself in a position. It, doesn't, it feels good to be the superstar where you are, to be the one that gets all the credit and all the accolades. That feels good. But if you want to keep growing, if you want to keep learning, then you need to put yourself in a place where there are people who are a lot better than you are as intimidating as it is, so that you continue to learn. And somebody say amen. amen. Don't ever, ever stop being a learner, and that goes for us adults, we adults as well. I'm going to draw your attention this morning to a couple of verses in 2 Timothy, where Paul, if you want to turn there in your Bible, I'm going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul is giving a charge to the young Timothy. He's instructing, he's training, he's mentoring young Timothy what we believe in so passionately here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 is where I'm starting. He says this, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you, Paul says to Timothy. You have been taught by the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful. All Scripture is inspired and useful. All Scripture is inspired and to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Why would any of us set ourselves above that? It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So here's Paul instructing Timothy to remain faithful to that which he has been taught. And that admonition goes to our graduates this morning as well as all of us in the room. You've acquired a lot of information, and much has been deposited within you. Now, what you do with it is going to make the difference. And obviously, we're not only talking about reading, writing, and arithmetic, but we're also talking about the spiritual deposits that you have received. Graduates, you've received the truth of the Word of God from your pastors and teachers and hopefully from your parents. You know the difference between right and wrong. Many of you have been diligent in your own study of the Word of the Lord, and you need to continue to do that. That's why we gave you the gift that we gave you this morning. Please immerse yourself in that apologetics Bible that we gave you today. And though the statistics are stacked against you regarding how faithful you will remain in your walk of faith as you move on from this place, I want you to hear this pastor say this this morning. 
God has been our dwelling place for all generations. And He can and will be the dwelling place for you as well. The dwelling place, the place where you will live, as the choir sang today. Your dwelling place, the place where you live. So I was praying for our graduates this week and preparing this message, knowing I probably would be short on time. Thank you for staying with me today. I had an image that came to my mind very, very clearly. It's an image of a ship's anchor that came to my mind. I so pray for you that you will remain faithful to that which you have been taught. I so pray for you that you are anchored to the rock, Christ Jesus, who is the only one who can hold you steady and not allow you to drift. Because I can promise you this, I have lived enough years to watch many, many, many people drift. I thought it was okay to loosen the anchor and see what else was out there. They decided they were going to try to embrace something other than what their parents or their pastors had handed them. But you will most assuredly drift into the storms of life because they are always there. And if you are not anchored to the rock, you will be beaten and battered by the storms of life. For some reason, I've had this picture of an anchor in my mind for the last couple of weeks comes up often as I deal with people because I end up asking myself, either asking them or asking myself silently, what are you anchored to? What is holding you? Are you just adrift? Have you decided just to give in and compromise to the ways of the world and be adrift in this big ocean we call life? What have you anchored yourself to? And as I thought about this image of an anchor, and how it can hold the ship steady in the shore and keep it from drifting away. Of course, it reminded me of, song, of a song. Everything reminds me of a song. It's an old song my parents used to sing, and they sang it and sang it until they wore it out. In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure. Oh, be very sure that your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus. He's the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips solid rock. What are you anchored to today? What is it you've decided you will invest in that you're going to place yourself in? What are you anchored to today? Are you sure it is solid? We need to be anchored to the solid rock, which is Christ Jesus. Could I hear an amen for that today? It was President John Adams who said, there are two types of education. One should teach us how to make a living and the other should teach us how to live. When you're signing up for school and setting your path toward graduation, you learn very quickly that there are two types of courses that you must take. You have required courses. Everyone has to take them. You don't get a choice on those. And someone has already established these for you to take. You have to take them, and everyone takes them. Things like English, history, science, mathematics. Required courses. 
But then there's another type of courses, another type of course that you take, and that's electives. Classes taken according to your own interest. You get to choose. You don't get to choose the required courses. You get to choose the electives. But they will need to be, the electives need to be classes that will truly help you in your selected field, whether it's business or the arts or the medical field or whatever it would be. The composite of your required courses and the elective courses has great bearing on the direction of your life and the path that you'll take and the outcome. But I want to let you know this morning that that's not only true in school, it's also true in life. There are required courses and there are elective courses. The required courses, you have no choice. You have no say-so in the matter. Everyone has to take them. And someone else has established them what they are to be. The electives, you absolutely have a choice because you have been given by God the gift of a free will. Let me mention a couple of the required courses first. There are three that I want to mention. The first required course is life or your birth, the time of your birth. You had no choice about it. You had no say-so whatsoever about when you were born, where you were born, or the parents to whom you were born. Someone else decided that and dictated this required course for you, and everyone has to take it. Everyone in this room today has already completed the first of the required courses, because it is the Lord who set the day of your birth. It is the Lord who decided who your parents would be. He is the one, as we mentioned earlier in the prayer, He is the one who knit you in your mother's womb, according to the psalmist in Psalm 139. It is the Lord who determined even where you would be born. You had no choice in the matter because it's a required course. Speaking of setting the day of your birth, one of the things I'm having a problem with these days is you have to now fill out things online or on your device, your iPad or your phone. Have you noticed how they've got it set up you have to, when you have to fill out something and give information and you have to give your birthday? Well, I was born in March of 1954. It's no secret anymore, thanks to our wonderful staff. <clears throat> so <clears throat> have you ever noticed those you have to do this now? You, you, it's either through a little wheel or you have to scroll you know how long it takes me to scroll down to 1954? <laughs> or if you're flipping a wheel, I go flip, 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 flip. It's got to be here somewhere. Flip, 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 flip. So being born is your first required course, but there is a second. The second required course is your death. Should the Lord tarry and delay his return, it's a course that every one of us have to take. It's required. You have no choice. It's a required course. And there are plenty of scriptures that make that clear to us. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, everyone dies because we belong to Adam. We are part of Adam's race. Therefore, because of that and the curse that fell upon Adam, everyone dies. Or the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die. It's a required course. 
you have no option. Everyone has to take it. It's been determined by someone else. The same sovereign Lord who set the day of your birth has also set and established the day of your death. I'm sure you would rather me talk about something else other than the day of your death. And though I am not one who is prone to employing scare tactics from the pulpit, there is a reality here that we all must face, and it is this. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. Younger people don't really believe that. I'm sure our graduates today aren't giving much thought to the day of their death. But the truth is, even our graduates do not have the promise of tomorrow. If you ever arrive at our campus of Bethesda from the south, you see right at the intersection of Clay Street, this is Clay Street over here, and Beach Street, right at that intersection, in the median, there is a cross that is there. That cross is lovingly cared for by a family who faithfully freshens the flowers around it. They care for it lovingly because two years ago, about now, in the summertime, a young man from their family was killed on a motorcycle right at that corner. He was either in his late teens or his early 20s. Several of our staff members here at the church were here that day and went out to try to render aid, but the best they could do was to find something to cover up the body from the gruesome toll that the accident had taken on him. We were to learn later here by the officers who came to complete reports that this young man was a diligent, hardworking young man who was holding down two jobs to try to help his family. The accident happened as he was racing from his first job to his second job so he would not be late. The man in the other vehicle who hit the young man on the motorcycle was absolutely devastated. I understand that that man attended services here at Bethesda for some period of time until it became too difficult for him to be reminded of what took place at that intersection. What is the point? The point is that we don't have the promise of tomorrow. None of us, no matter how young we are in this place today. Here he was in his late teens, early 20s, going through a normal day when it was time for him to complete his second required course. The second required course that we will all take is that we will all die should the Lord tarry. But there is a third course for all of us. It's not an option. You don't have a choice about it. You have no say-so in it whatsoever, and everyone has to take it. It is called the judgment seat of Christ. The rest of the verse that I just mentioned from Hebrews, for I reminded you in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that it's appointed unto man once to die. There's more to that verse. The rest of that verse says this, and after that, I mean after you have been appointed once to die, and after that, the judgment. Second Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 10 says this, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. Someday we shall await the verdict of God. When we remember that, then life becomes a tremendous and thrilling thing, for in it we are making or marring a destiny, winning or losing a crown. Paul knew that he would one day be evaluated by his master. He wanted to please him, and he wanted to hear from him, Well done! Well done, thou good and faithful servant! 
at the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat. Believers will be recompensed for the things that they have done in their earthly lives while in the body. Their good deeds will evoke one response and the bad deeds will evoke another. And I say that to say this because this is not the kind of preaching that you hear in every pulpit in America. This is not the popular stuff. This is not the stuff that makes everybody want to be happy all the time. But it's the truth, church. And my obligation is to tell you the truth. It's the truth. I don't hear a lot of messages on the judgment seat or the bema seat of Christ. I did when I was a kid. I don't hear much about it today. In fact, our culture today would say, judgment? What do you mean? I dare say there's people in this room never even heard this scripture before. Never knew that it makes a difference how you live. It makes a difference because there is a third required course for all of us. And that is this, that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not an option. Not, not a, you don't get a choice in the matter. You will be without excuse on that day. And that's the way it's going to be. Paul knew that he had a third required course. And he knew he would stand before the Lord. And everything would be measured, whether it is wood, hay, or stubble. And that's what caused him to persevere in the face of hardship. Oh, it's so hard. You don't understand. Yes, it's hard. I know it's hard. But that doesn't mean that God has not called you to do it. Whatever the assignment is, it probably is hard. There probably is challenge in it. But that is what motivated him. His third required course is what motivated Paul to persevere in the face of hardship. And it motivated him to be faithful in discharging his ministry. Also, I'm talking about the judgment seat of Christ. There's also the great white throne judgment listed in the book of Revelation. Simply stated, anyone whose name is not recorded in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. I don't hear a lot of sermons on that today either. But that's what the book says. Anyone whose name is not recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And I have a commentator that I study quite often who makes a point of this. Won't just be said, you go over here. You know what the Bible says? They will be thrown into the lake of fire. But thanks be to God, he has made a way of escape. And that way of escape is the most glorious way. It's the only life anyone should desire to live. Because it's made through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who took upon himself everything you ever did or thought about doing. And he bore the pain of it all. And he, he, he took upon himself every sin that you and I have ever committed. And therewith satisfying the wrath of God. Blessed be the name of Jesus. That's why we come into this house on Sunday morning and why we lift our hands and say, thank you, thank you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. That's why we worship him. It's why we don't set ourselves above being a learner. It's why we humble ourselves before him. 
That's why we do that, because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I know what sin had done to me. Left a crimson stain. But bless his name, he washed it white as snow. Can you say amen to that? Your birth is a required course. Your death is a required course. Facing the judgment seat is a required course. There is no getting out of it, no getting around it. There are no options. Everyone has to take it. Those are the required courses. Let me give you just a couple of electives, and then I'll bring this message to a close. We've all been given a free will to choose. And it was God who gave us this free will. Your first elective, you can choose to be saved or you can choose to be lost. It's up to you. You can choose to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life or you can choose to go your own way and reject what Christ has done for you. That's a choice that you have. It's an elective. No one can decide it for you. As bad as your mama wants to decide it for you, she can't. As bad as your daddy would like to be sure you know this is the way you're to go. He cannot decide it for you. No one can make the decision for you. The free will is yours and yours alone. But here's what we know. Nature forms us. Sin deforms us. School informs us. But only Christ transforms us. Come on, give the Lord blessing. Your first elective, you can choose to be saved or be lost. The second elective is this. You can choose whether you're going to be spiritual or carnal. Romans 8 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. You may be one who believes in Jesus, yeah, believe he died on the cross, but you're living a carnal life. You're allowing the spirit of the age to infect you. All of this information stream that comes in our home through all the ways it comes now, all the ways that it comes, you're allowing that to infect it, infect you. It's robbed you of your time with, in your personal devotions. It's robbed you of your time in prayer. It's robbed you in your service to the kingdom of God because we have bought into that. And it's a God that we bow down to. Well, I'm telling you today, it's an elective to either live a spiritual life or a carnal life. You're allowing the mindset of the world to cause you to compromise your Christian walk. You're choosing to live in carnality. Some of you say, well, you know, Pastor, I have a peace about it. And I want to say, you shouldn't. I'm going to lay down in front of your car or whatever I have to do to stop you and say, you shouldn't have a peace about that. My God in heaven, have you looked at the book to see what it's saying? It's an elective to be spiritual or be carnal. You get to choose. I'm going to ask the musicians, Karen and Darlene, if you would come. There's a third elective. I really am going to close one of these days, and thank you for staying with me here. It's 12.08, those of you who are timing me. Third elective. You're offered a choice between being scriptural or being logical. In other words, you can choose to live by the word of the Lord, which will only happen when you read it faithfully. Or you can choose to rely on your own human logic. We call that humanism. 
It's an elective that you get to choose. Some of you have a very high IQ. What a blessing. What a gift from God. And it is a gift from God. Just don't let it stand in the way. Don't let it stand in the way. Maybe you think your approach will be different, and it might be. And I'm happy that the IQ is high. That's wonderful. It really is a blessing. But I see so many people who decide they're going to figure out God from a logical perspective. He has to be invited into your heart. There's the choice that you have to be safe in God's will or to live by your own will. There are so many other electives, and I'm going to skip most of them. How much better when we seek the Lord and ask Him for His will and His way and His direction in our lives. Graduates, I hope you've heard me today. I'm not trying to be harsh with my words. I hope what you hear is a pastor's heart that loves you and wants to be sure before you walk out of here that you know the truth. Church Bethesda, I hope you've listened to this message today because I've done my best to speak the truth to you. And even the Holy Spirit, I believe, is speaking to some of you now as I've been talking this morning. Something has pricked your heart, not because I've said it, because the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Jesus and wooing you to Him. And all you have to do today is say yes to Jesus. Our text was from 2 Timothy this morning, that you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I can't say all of these things without giving someone the opportunity to say, you know what, Pastor? You've been talking. I maybe didn't like it, but I know it's true. And I know it's true not because you've said it. I know it's true because it registers within my heart. And some of that stuff I've read in the Word of God, and I know it's true. So I have to ask, is there anyone this morning in the house that says, you know, I'm not sure my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And pastor, if what you've said is true, my goodness, I need to be absolutely sure that my name is on the roll call of heaven. I need to be absolutely sure that I have surrendered my life to him. If that's true for anyone this morning, would you simply lift your hand so I can get the opportunity to pray for you? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Just lift your hand very, very quickly. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to be sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's all I want. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. I see that. In the balcony, I see that. Anyone else? Yes, sir, I see that. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, how we need you. Anyone else? 
Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? I don't want to rush it. Yes, ma'am, in the balcony. Yes, ma'am, I see that. Anyone else? Anyone else? Let's stand together, church, please. I'm going to ask all of you to repeat this prayer after me. Those of you who, by raised hand, have said, I, I wanted to be sure my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I didn't count them, but there were maybe a dozen or so, maybe more. This can be the greatest day of your life. And the burden of sin is gone. The guilt and the weight is gone. And you can be absolutely sure that when you stand before the Lord... <laughs> You are covered by the blood of Jesus. He says, I don't see that. What sin? What are you talking about? And what I see is the blood of Jesus that's covered you. Repeat after me, church. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your precious blood, which cleanses me of all my sin. And today I accept the life that you have come to bring. I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my will to you. I surrender my way to you. I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and the Lord of my life. And I declare this to the glory of the Father. From this day forward, I want to walk in the ways of the Lord. I want to acknowledge the ways of the Lord. And I want to serve you with all that I have. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for cleansing me. And thank you that on this day, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I am going to complete the course in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Bless the Lord for new life. Bless the Lord.